You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? You're listening to the Good Pop Culture Club episode 149. My name is Marvin Yu, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have the once in the future self-proclaimed professional Asian American. Just you. Gear right up for the month we exist, Marvin. Two weeks. Two weeks <laughs> and counting. We're almost gonna be real people. Is it too I'm much? a real boy? It yeah. is two weeks away. Got yeah. Oh no. Are you caught unawares? Not really, because both you and I just have film festivals that yeah, we've been programming. We do. We um, different ones. <laughs> I I'm not necessarily prepared, but I did get my copy of Yellow Face, so I'm very excited for that. Oh. So that was good timing, obviously. Yeah. So. Always excited for the next RF Kwong joint. That mm-hmm. voice, of course, is our most professional culture editor, Han Win. Hey, Han. Hey. Huh. <laughs> <sighs> Welcome back. We took last week off because, like we mentioned, next month is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. It's Asian Month. Which yes. means lots of stuff happening. Um, we all, like Jess, like I have the benefit of programming for a film festival right here in L.A., but Jess is programming for one up in the Bay Area. So you have like a She's whole like international. Thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's it's really fun, you know. But yeah, it's a little travel. And Marvin, you know how... How big a project getting the ticketing website up is. And let me say, I mean, no disrespect. I mean, kind of disrespect to Film Freeway, which is, or not Film Freeway, FilmBot, which is the software that makes all the film festival websites for a software that is specifically built to make film festival websites. It's not very good at making film festival websites. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think. Anyone who's ever used like one of these legacy institutionalized software solutions um, can feel that pain, right? Like when there's only a few industry mm-hmm. standards to use, you kind of get stuck with your grandfathered in, yeah, yeah. And you know those solutions they tend not to um, be very responsive to the growing, developing needs of um, modernity, I guess. Huh. But that is the struggle. Um, Han, you've been busy too, right? It's just TV never ends um, and movies and books and all that stuff. But also I'm like, on one hand, I'm getting the privilege of more people wanting to write about culture. On the other hand, I'm only one person, so I can't edit it all. So I'm just a little, a little bit overwhelmed. It would be easier if I didn't spend my free time watching (laughs) K-dramas. If I just, if I spent my time watching stuff that, you know, I need to cover, (laughs) maybe that would be better. You just got to come up with the column for classic K-dramas because I know you're, you're going into the catalog. You're binging the, the, the oldies, but goodies. Yeah. I need, I feel like it's like Latin. You need to learn the roots um, in order to understand where you, you where the language is now. Um, and when when and how they break the rules. So, uh, yeah, so I just finished Coffee Prince, and then I watched, uh, well, fairly recent, Mr. Queen, and now I'm about to delve into Your Beautiful. So I'm watching all the gender benders, um, because that is, like, very common (laughs) in a lot of these. So I have a a list of about, like, eight long that I need to watch. But um, your so Coffee Prince was 2007. Um, they have a lot of vests. There's so much vests wearing. So um, much vests, right? It's, it was a look. Everyone, like, I mean, I look. You can't fault Gong Yu to 
for wearing anything. Of course, there's a scene where he doesn't have a shirt. So that's, you know, he can also wear nothing. But he also wears vests. <laughs> and so does the lead uh, actress who's a tomboy. Wears lots of vests, but hers are like longer and more shape shapeless, you know, to help the... Uh, so the fact that she's sort of like a boy. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of vests and flip phones. I really enjoy seeing the flip phones. I miss my flip phone. Um, I know there are flip phones again, but now I, that's like too too high of a level for me. My I'm still at like um, Samsung Galaxy 10. And I think ga- the Galaxies are at 20s in the 20s by now. Well, <laughs> so I can't, after I, 10, they started naming them after the years. So the next one after the ten was the twenty one. Ah, which that makes came, so much which more means sense. The Samsung Model twenty twenty one. That makes okay. so much yeah. more sense than getting ten iterations <laughs> between mine. Um, but yeah, I know that there is a Samsung flip phone, but I don't know when I can get to that yet. So uh, uh, I, I forget. Both of you are green bubblers. Ugh. Yes, yes, I am a droid. Disgusting. Disgusting. <laughs> I I bullied I bullied Raymond into to to switching. Okay, I, that's I, that's why you're made for each other. That's horrible, <laughs> Raymond. Be I was like, I'm like, I'm, I'm giving this fucking green bubble a chance, um, which is why the majority <laughs> of our relationship was conducted via Facebook Messenger. What? So Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> knows all. Um, the search bar in Facebook was actually very handy because you could like, if you guys got into an argument, you could like literally find the receipt. Like in an instant, but they got rid of that. So um, now we're just on regular text, like normal, decent human beings, upstanding citizens. <laughs> yeah, my wife and I use Line because my wife is a. Oh my user, god! But we got. Wow, she's it. still married. You? Yeah. Damn you! Love transcends format, and also Android. Oh no, man! I feel like you owe her not like a push present, but like a, like whatever, like a green bubble present. Like thank you for putting up with my weird reactions because when you react to a text with your android it shows oh, up i as know like a when weird you react thing. to my text on our group chat i get the um the all text written out just you reacted smiley face to your to your message sorry i have emotions marvin you're not you're not putting me back in my cage just use a gift like a normal person <laughs> only old people use gifts marvin I yes, I and I—that's why I use gifts. <laughs> I'm trying to keep you guys young, okay? Like it's on the record. I can only pretend for so long until someone gets to know me and I give them a gift. <laughs> and then they're like, "What?" <laughs> well, uh, we are here this week on Good Pop to talk about the new A24 Netflix series Beef, which whew, there's a lot to talk about, uh, especially with. Um, the recent conversations around that show. Um, but before we get to that, um, let's find out what pop culture has been getting us through this week. Uh, let's start with Jess, because your topic is the most what's popping in pop culture right now. Okay, between work fugue and wedding fugue, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, I did manage to catch some Coachella sets via the YouTube stream, the live YouTube stream. Man, I'm so grateful. It's like you can watch all of it, get a close up, not be in the desert, though this was a relatively cold year. So happy for all the folks out there. The majority of the sets I caught were on Saturday uh, when I was most free. So I was able to watch Charlie XCX, who had a fantastic set. 
Um, and then, of course, the headliner on the main stage was Blackpink, which, mm-hmm. okay, here's my hot take. Are you ready? Uh-oh. I'm not that impressed. <laughs> oh. I do not I do not see I do not understand what the big deal is. I think they have I mean they performed four years ago as well. I don't know if they've released that much new music in that time to warrant a different new set. Outfits absolutely terrible. Terrible outfits. They look <laughs> like they got caught in like a like a shredded like tissue paper factory, but like with pink, like a pink. It was it was terrible. I'm just like, what is this fucking outfit? Like you guys all look you like you're so tiny. Like I can see on screen that you're so tiny, and the fact that like they put you in this month, like you you will look good in anything, and they put you in this like weird monstrosity. It was not giving. I mean, they're not even the big girl K-pop group right now, right? Isn't that like? New Jeans is the is the one that's going around yeah. right now. That's that's like the newest one, but like Blackpink yeah. globally, I think is the biggest. Still. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yes, yes. And you know they come from YG, which is like I am a big fan of the YG mm-hmm. label. That's the home of Big Bang. It's the home of To Anyone. It's the home of. But that's the thing. Like it's, I mean, it's hard not to compare like To Anyone CL with Blackpink because it's a different generation. But like I call CL live at 88 rising and man that girl has stage presence i did not get that from blackpink solo or collectively (laughs) i'm sorry they're all cute they're all talented but like honestly some of it was like making me cringe i'm like ooh, mm, i know i'm gonna get a lot of hate but you know what who cares what i think they're gonna sell out dodger stadium in august so go for them but i'm just like i kind of don't get it I think it also makes me sound old. That's fine. I also didn't know half the people on the Coachella. You know, like, the older you get, like, the less lines you get of the musical acts. Like, they list <laughs> it from headliner to, like, you know, less famous. And, like, you know, when you're younger, you know, like, maybe 80% of that block. And then, like, you're like, oh, I only know, like, the first two lines. I'm definitely at the first two lines part. I mean, I don't but- even listen to Top 40 anymore, so I don't know what's new like i'm at the you point where i'm just like listening to what i like at, on spotify and yeah. that's all like music mm-hmm. for now from when i was from when i was a young child or when i was a teen yeah but you know what congrats to blackpink um i i think i think charlie xcx won won the night she did fantastic outfit was fire salt setless hit after hit she does this thing where she like screams like very viscerally loud at the beginning of one of her songs vroom vroom and it's like a it's like a bisexual beacon call um so (laughs) i really enjoyed that i really want to watch that live but yeah i mean it makes does kind of make me want to go back so maybe next year i too will return to the desert well i wish you the best of luck um han what's popping with you I stopped mine at the last minute, although I don't know if it's necessarily better. But uh, I was going to talk about Love is Blind because I was part of the the breathless, you know, um, audience that was like waiting for the live uh, airing on Sunday. And they and Netflix flubbed it. But I'm not going to talk about that because there's also been things that have been coming out about Love is Blind that I'm like, I need to read up on this and see if I want to talk about them. Anyway, so what I did finally catch up on was... um, uh, Prince Harry's 
memoir, Spare. Um, I had bought a copy uh, a while back for research for my job, but then was like, I don't want to read this. So I just waited for the audiobook to come at my library. And so um, and he does narrate it himself. So uh, I finally I'm almost finished with it. So and I already know how it ends. Um, and I will say that a lot of the stuff that people pulled out, like, yeah, he talks about his penis a lot, um, his todger. Um, and he once, you know, got frostbite. He talks about losing his virginity. He he once put lotion on his penis, but the lotion was like the same scent that his mom used. So it smelled like Princess Die, which is. Oh, no, yeah. no. Anyway, they didn't talk about that in all the press tours. This, so all that stuff was kind of brought out. But I think what I got out of it besides that stuff was it really did build um, his his. um his PTSD, like, uh, build his experience because, you know, he starts with his memories of being told about his mom's death and about how he um, was convinced for so many years of his childhood that she was just hiding out and not didn't actually die because, she, you know, she hated being in the public eye um, and all this other stuff. And then he when he went into the army, that kind of increased his PTSD and um, being in the public eye with the press and always kind of like hiding out from them and stuff like that. So it was all compounded. And so I think he, he built up a pretty good sort of body of evidence to show why he eventually um, decided to leave. I think, I don't think any of us blamed him for leaving um, for him and uh, Megan to leave, you know, the monarchy or whatever it was, but, at the same time, yeah, like we f- just watching it from the outside wasn't great, um, but hearing more and more of it from the inside and just even his thought, uh, his experiences and finding therapy and all the other stuff. Um, but it's also interesting because, you know, clearly this is a white privileged man um, who, yes, didn't get the help he needed when he was a kid. But at the same time, it's kind of like his dawning realization of racism was a very interesting um and he doesn't really sort of <clears throat> like hide that he 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 said he has the mea culpa of yeah when i wore the nazi uniform to a costume party <laughs> that was dumb um so i don't know it, it wasn't it wasn't as frustrating as i thought it was going to be and the other thing i kind of liked about it um like as a person he He's very, he likes a lot of animals. So he, um, so like going to Africa and stuff like that, you know, uh, him dealing with animals, but also just in England and stuff like that. So there's, he's constantly comparing people to animals, which not necessarily dehumanizing them, but you know, um, all the pseudonyms are like animals, right? Yeah. There's a lot of them. He also, he uses several pseudonyms to talk about, um, people in the palace and then he also t- uses pseudonyms to talk about um, tabloid reporters because he's like, I don't want to like tra- re-traumatize myself by saying her name. Um, and so it's like rehabber cook cooks. And then you have to figure it out. And it's like, oh, that's Rebecca. Um, like, I forgot her last name. But anyway, so it's it. That's kind of interesting. Um, and then also just realizing like, you know, how he gets to the point where he's like, this was actually a life or death thing. I could definitely see you know, our lives being in danger. And when like Buckingham Palace removes their security, he's just like, how are we going to live? Because we are targets, you know? And so it's just, that's kind of interesting. Um, 
But yeah, in in general, I was just like, okay, I'm glad I went through this and I got the research because all future Royals coverage that we do, I'm able to add like a line here or there. <laughs> um, but honestly, I really would have wanted to hear her her side of it. I get that how he needed to. Also that he needs to make money um, because he's no longer royal um, and getting whatever that um, those benefits are. But at the same time, I was like, yeah, I don't know if she's going to have anything yet or if I should just start listening to her podcast. But I definitely want to hear it from their point of view. Also, it's amazing how many people are fans of suits in England, including Will and Kate. Yeah, yeah. Well, apparently that was like one of the only shows that were like available to stream on Netflix yeah. in the early days. So like everyone is a big Suits fan, which what is the fuck? so uh, ironic, right? Yeah, because like back in the day, I was I did watch a lot of uh, USA Blue Sky content. But by the time they got to Suits, I remember sort of like drifting away because I was like, I don't need another legal show. Um, so I never got to the Meghan Markle era. Um and despite that, I do have a uh, a name placard that says I'm a Suits partner for six years um, <laughs> when, when Suits wrapped. So, um, yeah, it, that, that was the funny thing because they're like, yeah, there was there were fans of hers. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that was my experience. Uh, is yeah. I've been, the memoirs I've been reading have been interesting. But Marvin, what's popping with you? Yeah, I mean, going off of Jess's tangent on K-pop and Blackpink, I've been listening to a podcast called um, K-pop Dreaming from LA Studios, which is essentially the second season of their um, LA pop culture history podcast, California Love. Uh, The first season focused on South Central and Black culture in LA. Uh, The second season is hosted by uh, Vivian Yoon, and as you may have intuited, um, focuses on... LA's Korean American community and specifically um, their relationship with K-pop. And the show explores Vivian's um, own relationship as a secret K-pop stan in the late 90s, um, as well as the influences that um, LA and Korean American culture had on K-pop, uh, specifically, you know, the, the hip hop oh, and urban so- influences. And it's a great show for both people who love K-pop and people who want to learn more about K-pop. One of my favorite episodes is the second episode, which revolves around um, a mixtape that Vivian Yoon would create for you um, to represent the history of K-pop. And as someone like I was not a K-pop, like when I was in high school, I was really into Taiwanese pop. Like that was my jam. Mm Um, yeah. You know, um, Fisiang, Mayday. Um, Jay Chow. Yeah, Jay Chow. Yeah, who couldn't forget Jay Chow? Fuck yeah. Um, the, the, the he who shall not be named. Mm. <laughs> I, um, I don't know these people. Well, I've heard of Jay Chow by now. <laughs> but my <laughs> wife was a huge, she was big into like HLT. Mm. Oh, yeah. Time, like, was she a DBSK SES? fan? So Probably. That was, <laughs> that was the weird thing was when I first moved to LA, I remember finding the Koreatown mall and being like, oh my God, this has everything in it. And so I remember introducing my friends who are black to their music store. (laughs) And so they got into K-pop. So they were like telling me all about H.O.T. And uh, who was the other one? Um, uh, Shinwa. 
um, and, and, and I can't remember who else. And I was just like, oh, that's great. I'm so glad you're you're having fun and, and you know, uh, learning about this. But I was like, so they're way beyond me. Yeah, <laughs> like, that Koreatown Galleria music store actually mm-hmm. features in this podcast as well. They talk oh to my the God. owners who are second generation <gasps> owners of that store. So it's, it's a very like, wow. it's a pretty good oral history of K-Town and K-pop. That if you're if if you were a fan back in the day, you'll have find a lot to like relate to. And if you're interested oh in the history, it's oh a my good God, kind I of should primer check this for out. Yes, dude, so this down. store. You know, I'm I'm showing you guys my. You know, remember the bootleg mugs and merch you could buy yes, because because yes. you couldn't get the official merch, so you would just get like the ones they obviously printed from like random compiled images and like the <laughs> like the not official posters. Oh yeah. yeah, really doing really doing God's work. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh I think that's also where I went to one of my first H Marts. Is there an H Mart in there too? Like it's like um, a different or it's a fake one. It's it, an yeah. It's not a it's not fake. It's more like it's just a grocery store. Before Nine Nine Ranch, we still mm-hmm. had grocery stores. They just weren't mm-hmm. like yeah. multinational corporate owned yeah. grocery yeah. stores. Then, you know? But they did have a good food court, I remember. Yeah. Um, the mall itself. So Yeah. So uh the podcast is K pop dreaming. Um you'll find it under the California Love um RSS feed um on podcasts everywhere. Check it out if you're looking for a new podcast to uh, to listen to. Um all right. Well that's what's popping for this week. Uh, before we get to beef though, um let's check in since we took a week off with Go Asian, our top chef recap podcast within our podcast. Um really quickly because I feel like a lot happened but nothing too exciting. Um yeah. nothing too critical in terms of like our Go Asian favorites. Or any right? yeah, or any of my favorites. Yeah, but I this- do will say Two episodes ago, I did like the challenges better, which is the honey and mead challenge, which I thought was very exciting because yeah. I was like mead. Um, and I also <laughs> like honey better than I do like sugar. So I've never that had mead. I don't um, think most oh, people have. <laughs> delicious. I did like the elimination challenge that week, yes. which was the family dinner verbal challenge, which I only recently learned that it was pronounced verbal because it was always just VRBO. And, you know, before most Airbnb, that was how I booked yeah. vacation homes, you know? <laughs> but most people still say VRBO. So I, I choose to say VRBO. <laughs> um, because it was also a really... Well, it was funny because it's like a great, like, spot with... They, they said, like, what, 24 beds and, like, huge grounds. But then their kitchen, I was just like, you can't make... 11 12 chefs cook in the same kitchen no matter how big it is like if you only have like six burners that's not fair yeah um, this is the part of the ch- the ch- season the top chef season where they start doing like external challenge challenges mm-hmm. which i typically do not like this is like mm-hmm. when they take them camping or this is like where we're gonna mm-hmm. take you into the woods and like or like a cabin and like you only <laughs> have this like shitty supply and i'm just like I don't know. I feel like that's not where these chefs thrive. Like you're limiting other things that aren't helping them be more creative. I feel like it's just like, and I feel like we got two in a row. Cause honestly, I don't know how exciting a make a picnic that you have to serve like room temperature. Like, is that fun? Like, like, is this, is this the best highlight of food culture? So, So 
the yeah, the challenge that's tied to also is I think a missed opportunity, which is they're serving it at High Clear Castle, which is basically the setting of Downton Abbey. And so it's a gorgeous setting. And I assume they can't actually go inside and use anything because that's why they had to like cook elsewhere and bring a cold picnic. Um to yeah. the challenge, uh, which I, I'm just like, I'm like, you guys have set up kitchens in crazier places. Like you could have done like a, you know, like a historical menu challenge. Like this is a dinner from like 1919, like recreate it yes. or like do a, do a modern day take or like, I just feel like, like all these challenges are so Ew. like bland. Yeah. How like, much yeah. like, I mean, I know we talked about this before, but how much is that? Because the fact that British food in and of itself is just not super exciting. Well, but I they, think they're going for concept like like British food also encompasses, as we mentioned before, all the places they colonize. Like, yeah, you could do Indian food, you could do Chinese food, you could do Cantonese food, you could do well, Macau, the, you know, like, well, or that's Portuguese, I guess. But yeah, but also I think the thing is, I think it is the conception and the way they've rolled out these challenges because so this is the past episode where the quick fire is a last chance kitchen challenge so it's two people so you can't even see the whole group make afternoon tea which might have been interesting because i would have liked to see you know like what sort of finger sandwiches let's say buddha would have created or if someone would have created you know like some a decent curry or maybe even what gabri would have done but no it's two people who have been eliminated and two people who i was like fine with them leaving and i didn't need to see them come back <laughs> so i didn't care who came back um and we got basically right. uh canadian dale Right? You didn't follow Last Chance Kitchen. I did until the episode where oh, Mayfire no. eliminated. And I was like, yeah. okay, I'm not. My, my Goatian interest has has left the building. And yeah. I have to admit, Dale was the, I would have rather had Begonia back because at least yes. her food excites me. Like Dale, yes. his thing. And the fact that he came back by playing mm-hmm. it safe, mm-hmm. the very strategy that got him kicked off in the first place yeah. was pretty, like was like, Oh, so, I did something not. That, enjoy. That, something that my coworker pointed out to me was that he says that he thinks Begonia seemed tired in the episode she got eliminated from, and she seemed tired in this episode too. So I think she's just a very talented chef, but maybe just not made for competition. Yeah, I um, mean, she has a Michelin star, so like obviously yeah. she has chops. All of these people have chops, which is the thing. Yeah, but, but I, it, I can <laughs> see like almost the defeat in her eyes. She's like, I just can't care anymore. Yeah. Even when she's like, it's been an honor. Cause, I'm just like, cause, she's like, what I'm am I doing sure, here? I have a career. Because I'm sure she's <laughs> like, why the fuck am I making yeah, she cold just, picnic sandwich? Or why am I making like, why do why am I making afternoon tea when I have a fucking Michelin star yes. and I have a whole staff yeah. who's helping me execute my like, a, you know, new exciting idea? She's like, mm-hmm. this is in in England of all places. Do you know how good Spanish food is? <laughs> yeah, Spanish food is delightful. Yeah, um, yeah. See, I just that's the other place mm. I was considering going after at Italy. So anyway, oh, <laughs> so. oh yes, you should. Okay. Yeah, I can well, actually speak the language. So we had great. a scare in the episode before episode five at the verbal challenge because. Buddha made his shitty salmon salad and almost got kicked off. Um, I was actually pretty concerned um, that we yeah. were going to lose him, but um, he made it through. And then in episode six, um, we say bye bye to probably the one white lady there who I had fun watching. Yes, which because is she was the very Polish upfront about herself. Girl. 
I did love Potato Girl. She was fun. It's like, it's a rice challenge. She brings out the potatoes. (laughs) You know, I've been really enjoying Tom up until this challenge. She was kind Uh, of a dick in this one. Um, which was annoying, and uh, yes, I'm sad. Potato girl, yeah. Left. So okay, I, agree. I have to ask, actually. How surprised were you when I think it was the verbal family dinner challenge mm-hmm. when she said she was going to make dumplings? How surprised were you that she actually made like Chinese dumplings and not like European oh. dumplings? Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. That was just weird. Um, <laughs> I actually, it was Tom. The previous episode, the VRBO challenge, that I found annoying. Because he won immunity, right? And instead of working hard anyway, he kind of coasted and made a very bad cake. Um, and then he was also pissing me off about something else. So I was just kind of like, I don't know, dude. Oh, and he got angry when Tom said something about his cake. Which Oh, German Tom. Yeah, German Tom, Tom. German Tom. Sorry. So German Tom was the one who... Yeah, who pissed me off in that challenge because he didn't try even when he had immunity and then like got angry when his bad cake was criticized by Tom Colicchio. Um <laughs> And so I was just like, yeah, I don't need these 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 uh, chef testants to stop entertaining me. Um, like at least Potato Girl, you know, was herself till the end. So. <laughs> yeah, um, I was bummed that we lost Potato Girl. But at the same time, um, wait, she was up against Tom, right? Oh yeah. Well, actually, the uh, elimination was a cliffhanger. Oh right. So it's German Tom versus this potato. was yeah. This was a nefarious way for them to convince everyone to go on the Peacock and watch Last Chance Kitchen, right? Which because I did. I'm not assuming watch. you all did. Right? No, I did not. No, I no. refused to engage in the chicanery. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was like, if you're not going to tell me in the main broadcast, then I guess I'll find out next week. I do not care. Well, it's on principle. I have Peacock. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not playing. Well, surprise, <laughs> Jess. Potato Girl got eliminated. Oh, um, so German Tom stayed. Um, I will say I am. I see now when you were talking about Tom Colicchio pissing you off because he was so snobby about, oh, Niswaz has to be with tuna. Oh, uh, blah, blah, blah. You can't make it with salmon. And then he eats it. That's and, and, true. And we did have a when, Go-Asian victory. Um, yeah. And when and when Nicole makes the salmon Niswaz, which everyone is raving about, Tom can't just say, I loved it. He keeps on going about like, oh, I thought it was going to be bad. Blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, just praise it, dude. but yes so nicole won and not only did she win but her backstory is that she's wanted this um prize money because she is has applied for adoption and she and it's cost a lot of fucking money to adopt so this she's gonna get a vietnamese baby so a second go asian moment i i turned to raymond at that point i was like damn is that fucking expensive like that don't seem right oh yeah oh yeah it's 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 why topic for another topic for another (laughs) podcast yeah it's hard to get babies well moving on to episode seven um four of our five asians remain in the race and yeah i guess we'll check back in next week with another installment of go asian we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're talking about beef stick around
Hey, Ryan, what's black and white and red all over? I don't know, Robin. Two nuns having a chainsaw fight? Dude, inappropriate. Come on, man. This is supposed to be a podcast promo for our secret underground podcast, Quarantine Comics. Oh, yes. Quarantine Comics, the weekly comic book club where I, ace reporter Ryan Joe, and I, mild-mannered Robin Sutton, team up to discuss some of comics' greatest works. Or just some really cool comics that we've been wanting to read. From Alan Moore to Uzumaki. From Arrakis to Zendaya. From Adrian Tomine to Jean Lun Yang. You might not have heard of half the stuff that we're reading. Or the other half is just pop culture superhero stuff. They could just read the books with us, right? Yes, they could do that, but you could also just send us money. No, Ryan, that's not how passion podcast projects work. Why in the hell are we even doing this? Uh, I'm sure we'll be back by next week's episode. <clears throat> so, tune in each week to Quarantine Comics. That's qtdcomics.com. Set phasers to fun. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, this week we're discussing Beef, the new A24 television series um, created for Netflix by Lee Sun Jin, um, starring Steven Yun and Ali Wong as two people who get into a road rage incident in a parking lot. And instead of letting it go like normal people and getting on with their lives, allows that rage to uh, essentially consume them. It is a dark comedy psychological drama that explores themes of anger, of class, of generational trauma, and kind of the dark side of Asian American cultures that uh, we don't often see represented on television. And it would have been great to focus and discuss those aspects, but we can't talk about beef without first discussing the controversy that's been surrounding it and its production, which is the casting of David Cho, who plays Stephen Yeun's character's cousin. And um, David Cho probably is most infamously known as the artist who drew the original murals at Facebook headquarters and was paid in Facebook stock, which ended up being worth millions. Uh, he is in the spotlight because of uh, tape Facebook. that has surfaced from a podcast he hosted uh, almost 10 years ago in which he bragged about participating in a sexual assault um, against a black woman. And so there's been a lot of outrage growing against not only David, but also the producers of the show, which includes Ali Wong and Stephen Yoon, about including him in the show. And I guess it all just seems like such an avoidable issue because I remember first learning that David was in the show maybe a few weeks before the premiere. And I did remember raising my eyebrows because, you know, having worked in the Asian American community for so long, I had thought that David Cho was kind of persona non grata in the community. Yeah, I I remember he had an FX show up where mm -hmm. he would like interview people and do his art. And I remember very much deciding we're not covering that, right? So I was surprised when I saw this name. I was like, maybe it's someone else. I, you know, names names are common, right? <laughs> so it wasn't until I saw him on the screen where I was like, oh no, that is him. So I was I was surprised. Yeah, it was I I didn't realize he was a big part as well. It's just such a it's such a strange choice. Like you didn't need to have him in this role, but it's kind of like just from like my feeling is that like they must have cast him because he has this 
persona as this like bad boy artist. I don't even think it's that. I think they cast them because they needed like a K-Town bro archetype that he basically embodies, right? I mean, I don't think you cast this. I think the role he plays, the character he plays is supposed to be edgy, right? Or like non-PC. So I don't, I just, you know, it's also like, you know, there are actors, there are like real actors in the world who can like act that that don't come with this baggage and this like terrible, whether it's, you know, just, just even in the public record, like what he's not, not a great, doesn't seem like to be a, a well loved person. But, like, I have to think that's deliberate. Like, it's the age of the internet. You do a search and, like... Yeah, I mean, as someone who has been across these decisions before, these are the types of red flags that come up when you're doing a search like this, right? Yeah, I mean, sure. yeah, you, you gotta do your due diligence. And, um, you know, and regardless if they came up or not, it was public record. There have been public uh, protests against him for in the art world and other spaces. So, I mean... I do think the accountability goes around that table to some very big names that we all love and whose work we enjoy. But I'm also just like, you know, you, you guys are producers. You guys are big names. I'm going to assume you had creative control or some level of creative control. And to be like, this is all fine with me. Like, that's not going to stop me. It's, like, very disappointing. Um, and then I think the lack of response is also extremely disappointing. Because, yeah, because as like, of this recording, yeah. there has been no official response from any of the producers or Netflix or A24, like, anyone involved. Like, the only response we've been getting is, I guess, just, like, DMCA takedown notices from David himself, right? Which is damning. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think in the very least, the studios should say something. And here's the thing: Netflix doesn't has the have the best record of saying good things. So I'm actually surprised they haven't just released a statement that was crappy. You know, like they've defended uh uh who's the who's the stand up Dave um, Chappelle. Yeah, they've de- they've defended defended having Chappelle on because of freedom of speech or whatever so even if they said something shitty at least they would be saying something and and I'd be like okay Netflix Netflix is hugely problematic for many 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 reasons uh, I still keep coming back to them for for because the various shows you know aren't all created by the same people but it is getting to the point where it does seem like Netflix as a uh, as a studio does not have um, a sort of vision of control of how they want their um, their product to be. So, and this has been a critique for a while. Like um, the head of FX has said this many times, where it's just like we we change because we want to be better or we want FX to mean something. So they've like let's say for FX they increased um, let's say the uh, representation behind the scenes they cut ties with certain artists right or or creators um such as louis ck so like yeah like netflix you gotta do say something um but i think the other thing is when it comes to steven yun and ali wong um they actually are friends with him 
or at least they, Stephen is, um, Ali has spoken to him before. This came up in an interview that I read when it came to uh, David Cho's um, show that he had had. But um, yeah, so there, there's, they've been having conversations with him for a few years now. So again, that would not be hidden. So yeah, that is mm-hmm. and I'm just like, you know, uh, was it? It's also just so, it's so dumb for this to be the sword you want to die because, like, like I don't agree, but I understand the capitalist corporation incentive to protect people like Dave Chappelle who make them a lot of money. I understand, or not, I understand, but you know, like, I understand from a from like a money evil standpoint, why like there's Warner a rationale there. You so, can rationalize that somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, you know, Ezra Miller who like is this linchpin of this new DC multi-billion dollar chain that, you know, franchise reboot that they refuse to like scrap this flash movie, even though he <laughs> has done so many illegal mm-hmm. things, but like all this for like a, number three four character that i know a, like right off hand like five other folks that could have played this yeah role better than david cho is so fucking dumb and i gotta like i think we gotta hold the people like, like as much as like yeah we enjoy their work i'm just like what the fuck steve young what the fuck ali wong like what you doing yeah yeah and it's it's a shame that this has become what discussing the show will be about, right? Like, it's it's not going to be, like, we'd love to talk about, like, the depiction of rage and Asian rage specifically. And, you know, we'll, we'll touch a little bit about that later on. But the fact that we have to, like, spend this time to, like, talk about the, these aspects now. And, like, it sucks. Like, I'd rather not spend this time talking about David Chill, but it also makes me like like we debated on whether or not to talk about this show at all, right? Yeah, I think it also hurts because like outside of this conversation, it's a really good show. Yeah. I think we all really enjoyed this show and I think it portrays a certain level of specificity about our communities that we have not really seen at this level. Um, and it's just like a funny show. It's a well-written show. Uh, like fantastic one-liners. Yeah. Um, great yeah. balance just just an all-around good time and the, uh, with great performances and the irony is that the the toxicity that this show addresses is precisely the toxicity that is kind of tanking the, the show mm-hmm. now right like that it's That's like what it's what irony. a what a <laughs> it's just such a self-own really because like just like they didn't they they didn't yeah. need to cast him in this role like like i could you know if this all came out with like if all this shit came out about like Steve Yen or Ali Wong or, you know, like, you know, anything like that, like I could understand the need to protect that brand. And, you know, but I'm just like, there's, there's, there's no need. This man already has so much money too. It's not like you're squashing a promising young career. He's just this like creepy old dude that has like plagued yeah. <laughs> it, like, yeah. I'm sorry I'm laughing it's not funny but just like it is kind of funny the self-own is kind of like man <laughs> we know how to do things include self-owning ourselves yeah yeah um anyway this is all to say that while there's a lot of great things about beef this has definitely tainted uh a lot of 
the coverage, the conversations we're having about it. And I can definitely see this tainting the experience of viewing it for a lot of people. Yeah, because it goes back to now we have to also have that conversation of do we separate art from artists, right? And I usually err on the side of we can't really do that. Like, I can't, like, I've heard Chinatown's a great movie, but I will never watch it because of, like, the director, right? Yeah. No, totally agreed. For the most part, if it's something that I have not consumed yet, I will not watch something that I feel is created by someone who's problematic. Um, I think this is an issue where he is, well, he's not insignificant, but he is a supporting player. And so there's enough of other things that I felt didn't I don't want to say mitigated, but made me stick with the show. Even when I realized and ter- when turning it on, I'm like, oh, it's that guy. Um, but yeah, so that's that's why we ultimate decided like we should have this conversation. We can, you know, this is part of the discourse. We need to acknowledge it. And but you know, hopefully we can talk about a few other things about beef that is worthwhile also to, you know, to get people's attention. Yeah. All right. With that said, and with the clear statement that the Good Pop Culture Club does not condone or approve of the heinous things that David Cho is accused of doing, I guess um, we should talk a little bit about the show itself. Um, So uh, what are our general impressions of Beef? I've never felt more seen. As someone who defaults to anger and um, as a bitch who wears glasses. <laughs> and I really respect Ali Wong and her decision to wear glasses in every role she does and getting lit so that there's no glare. I've been told many times to take off my glasses mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, for photos and shit. I was like, I don't look like myself without them. Um, so respect to that. Uh, And I do think it is a very good modern portrayal of an Asian American experience, which seems obvious to me now, but was not that like, yeah, we're, we're, we're angry. (laughs) Maybe, I mean, East Asians, definitely. I don't know. I'm sure Southeast Asians, the Vietnamese, you know, Ali Wong's character is half Viet. Um, and she talks a lot about that. And her mother, of course, is played by a very famous Vietnamese actress. So, um, yeah, like, it's, it's, I've been there and I feel seen. I've never masturbated with a gun, though. I mean, glad you haven't. Um, Thank you. That's doesn't dangerous. S- doesn't seem safe. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Um, But I think there is... I think there is something there when it comes to even that scene where it's like being drawn to things that are dark or dangerous or um, that allows you to have that sort of like imperfect, you know, um, uh, break breaking of the imperfect picture that you present out there is very uh, is so real. So, yes, I I, I don't want to make generalizations, but I do feel like there is a repressed anger with many Asian communities because of the general uh uh, sort of mindset that we should get, all get along and it's community over individual. And so a lot of times we swallow 
sort of like the way we're supposed, you know, the way we express our emotions in, for the greater good, perhaps. And that like means less of you. Um, but also, you know, uh, I know for women, of course, there's the extra layer of like patriarchal stuff. Um, and I think there's the extra layer, of course, of immigration, you know, and expectations being in America. So I think it's it was pretty sharp about like sort of playing this up from two different angles. Uh, well, several different angles, but like um, we see lots of different Asians in this and they are played specifically, you know, their types of Asians. So like she is Chinese Viet, which is what Ali Wong is in real life. Right. And then um, she's married to a Japanese guy. Uh, and the guy she's feuding with is Korean American. Um, and so I liked all of that. And I like the fact also that she's some rich bitch. Um, mm-hmm. the, the amount of bougie, like even so in always be my baby, maybe she had so many different like glasses frames. It was ridiculous. Like, I think I counted at least six, but here her main frame is like this octagonal, like really weird wire frame that I did not like on her, but in a way I kind of understood why they were doing it. Um, and I felt like there were so many really good touches as far as like how bougie some of the, the trappings of her life were, but also not necessarily the most tasteful. Um, it was just rich. Uh, and then, of course, Stephen Young's character be, um, being a working class, you know, blue collar dude. So um, I liked those two things, too, because it didn't it showed that specific sort of. Um, background and what and what maybe their values were but also what their values got them and how they that placed them yeah i think and i talked about this before we started recording this show to me was like it was well done like it was like profoundly uncomfortable to watch and i was trying to think about why that is and i think it's because it's hard to empathize with any of these characters but at the same time, it is easy to empathize with them, right? Like, I don't know about you, but for me, I found it hard to empathize with Ali Wan's character because she was a rich bitch, because she was like a rich person. So I felt it, I, for me, it was hard to like feel sorry for her like personal struggle, which is like, oh, I need to sell my company so I can hang out with my family, with my husband, who I barely like. And I felt like I did feel bad for Steven Yoon's character. But he was also a giant dick, right? He was a chauvinistic, like, misogynist, like, Korean man, like, angry Korean man. He's which... also a bad contractor. Like, can't even, he can't yeah. even do his job. Well, so, like, like while, I, while I empathize with his, like, working class plight, he also was, like, unsympathetic, right? So, like. Yeah, that was good. Like, you were late, but you also don't because, like, all these people are people that suck, they yeah, all yes. I, I will I, admit that mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out what she was. Is she like a plant influencer? Like she owns like a plant business, which I Koyo think like branched off into like a lifestyle brand. <laughs> it was so weird. I just like I don't know what's going on. It's but, one of those companies yeah. where the entire marketing is based on cult of personality, right? It's a plant company, which there's a diamond dozen, but she, from what I gathered sold her story as like a self-made woman and that is what drives the marketing of like the marketability of her company 
Yeah, and I think there's also an element of people putting racist stereotype typical like values mm-hmm. on her, right? Yeah. Like she's like, oh, you're so zen. You must meditate so much. Um, and I'm like all for that. But I mean, for me, the fact that they're all kind of terrible people makes it really fun because mm-hmm. it's like I get really nervous when there's like a good guy and I'm like bad things happen to them. But I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, like everyone is kind of terrible. This is kind of fun just watching them fuck themselves over. Yeah. I mean, in a way, the entire show is a critique on hustle culture right? because both Stephen Young's Danny and Ali Wong's Amy, they are people who like they are people who like if you've ever been on Facebook and been in any of these like hustle culture like Facebook groups you've seen yeah. both of their stories time and time again they're both self-proclaimed small business owners and they both take pride in that but at the same time that hustle culture is also what's like eating them up inside yeah <laughs> sorry I, I just remembered the name of his company was Acho Service <laughs> Acho Service which, oh, God. which you know, someone should have talked him out of. Like, yes, you can joke about that, but like, or maybe that can be your handle. But like, <laughs> and uh, I mean, the anyway, thing is, yes. like, there are like the, the sympathetic characters that, like, the sympathetic yeah. characters in the show are all destroyed by these two, like, they're the essentially victims. narcissists, right? Like, yeah, our two main characters are just angry narcissists. Yeah. I- don't know what this says about me. <laughs> I know what this says about me, but I, I, I was definitely on Amy's side. I'm like, this girl just lost some money. She's been working hard on this deal. Her husband sucks. Her kid sucks. Um, her mother-in-law sucks. Like, let her sell her plant company so she can retire. And, and I think I, that would be great if she also didn't throw her power around to ruin people's lives. Well, I I, I I definitely do have sympathy for a woman who is supposed to have this elevated life, but she's supporting her husband, even though he's not he's only supporting her in like in emotionally, I guess. But maybe not even that, but like you know he's he's a really bad artist <laughs> and um somehow he continues that privilege and doesn't see the amount of work that she does so i do agree to some sympathy for her not necessarily as much probably um as as maybe, no, I'm just yeah. fucked up in the head. I yeah. I am very team Amy in all this. I like her plants. I, I would buy them. I I well, no, I don't care about her plants, but I'm also I'm a less of a plant person, more of an animal person. But um so yeah, I I I did have a little bit of sympathy for both of them, even though I do think that they are both bad people. Um I mean, I think and, my sympathy comes from the fact that the stuff that he does to her pales comparison to stuff that she can and does do to him. Right. Yeah. In terms yes. of like, I I do have to agree there in that the the harm she does, um, right off the bat is more harmful, um, and possibly you know like as we see you know uh, destroying his life, not just being an irritation or whatever. But then again, it escalates to the point where he also does too. So, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, but that the, the window that opens with her own indiscretions right like i think one thing that this show like the show is about the spiral right of like to be so petty that you set your like again it's like it's ironic that this show is also about self-owns right because 
all of the characters, both characters self-own themselves real hard because of their rage, right? Yeah, they're yeah. very I self-destructive. Mean, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, it's obviously, you know, it's 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 the control when you have lack of control everywhere else in your life, right? And I think that is also indicative of just a, people who experience, you know, experience oppression, um, you know, and, and it, like we're talking about like a capitalist system, which is inherently going to be racist and patriarchal. So, you know, Steve Yun has obviously less money. Like he's from a working class family. Ali Wong's Amy is coming from a wealthier place in the beginning. Um, but there's always that intersection of like patriarchy too in this, in this situation where like he comes into, I mean, like if a dude came into my house and peed everywhere, like he, he, he also takes that first step into like coming into her house, right? Like finding her, tracking down her number. So they are both fucking petty, but it's like, they're obviously both grasping for some semblance of control in their lives because they have control nowhere else. And it doesn't matter the class. There's always going to be someone higher than them, right? There's always going to be something they should be doing. They're both kind of stuck in a patriarchal mold. Um, Steve Young, you know, is like, I need to provide. I need to make money. I need to start a family. And he's so obsessed with land, which is like the most American thing you can be obsessed about. And then Ali Wong's character, Amy, is just like, she's supposed to have it all. And she built her whole brand on having it all. And her, again, her husband fucking sucks. Doesn't understand <laughs> what it means to work. Oh, my God. Like, he was so. <laughs> it's And I, and I, I mean, and this is, and this is like one of the specificities. Like, he's so Japanese American. <laughs> he, he was very funny. I have to he say. He was very funny. Yeah. yeah. His character. And then, like, fun. and I also think, like, you know, if the roles were reversed, like, you know, if it was a wife at home like you would expect them to do all of that and like like if ali wong's character were a man which we've seen in many cases like a man and a woman mm-hmm. wife at home stay at home mom like there wouldn't even need to be like a nurturing of ego it's like that would have been expected mm-hmm. so it was interesting that we see that flip of she has to work so hard he doesn't understand isn't really being that supportive shitty mother-in-law which is like oh my god like this poor this poor grandchild this poor girl june junie is gonna need just <laughs> so much therapy <laughs> and that's like also like the big irony right because she worked so hard to not pass that on and it's probably gonna be passed on yeah <laughs> um my favorite character was the brother Paul, oh, himbo, himbo, Paul. He was so he was, he was such a pure soul. <laughs> yeah, um, played big, by big younger brother energy. Yes, <laughs> yeah, played by Young Mazzino, who is I guess a relative newcomer, right? Yeah, he's gonna have a he just had a film out of Sundance, is it or something that that's coming out soon too? But um, oh, he's in no, he's in Will use like yeah web series. Yeah, well, he's been like a supporting actor in in various shows also. So, um, but this this is probably his big, you know, his big role. Yeah, I spent the entire series because I couldn't sympathize with any of the leads, just hoping Paul makes it out okay. Because yes. like this poor boy is just gaslit the entire like all eight mm-hmm. episodes, all ten episodes. He's just being gaslighted by the people he loves, pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He also has one of my favorite lines, which is, I know we've only been DMing for a few days, but I feel like we've been DMing forever. (laughs) 
uh, which is just just great. I mean, he's supposed to be like what in his like early twenties. Yeah, he he. So, yeah. yeah. So he's kind of an idiot, but in the way that like you can forgive because his frontal lobe isn't fully yeah. formed. So, yeah. uh, you know, he is he he's obviously dumb and you know probably a little a little lazier than you anticipate that he probably should be, but. Um, I, I feel like he's more well I don't know if he's dumb but he he's definitely trusting um and he still dreams big without actually knowing what to do about it <laughs> so I wouldn't he's just say, not ruined yet yeah I wouldn't say dumb but he's definitely like his character like basically he's been infantilized by his brother for his yeah. entire life right and so again I mean, that's like, also something that I think this you know that that respect in the Korean culture, like mm-hmm. the age, you know, the age respect and, and how you're supposed to listen to mm-hmm. your elders. Um, and and I think that's also like another aspect that was built into the show that was like very Asian, but not automatically that obvious. Unless like you are you're aware of like of what is supposed to be happening. Yeah. And I guess going back to what you said, Jess, about this script being so specific like his characters being so specific like you know i think we've all hung out with enough asians and specifically koreans to like we all know a danny a paul and even naomi right like naomi played by ashley park reminds me so much of like my oc church korean friends mm-hmm. oh yeah i mean i mean all the little different pockets we get to see the church group the um, artists, people, the uh, like the the broiness, the it's it, even like that very corporate white world, like that corporate speak with Maria Bella, who is very good as the annoying head of the Foresters mm-hmm. corp, which is like, are they just like a? Are they like, like a Walmart? Because Walmart? Like I was just like, I thought it was just like a like a Home Depot, but like she's like very wealthy. Her house is insane, right? Oh, it's um, ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it is. It's just very. It's it's very. Um, it is very accurate. The the church scenes took me out. I myself am not religious. I don't go to church, but like the strip mall church in like the OC. Mm-hmm. So. So specific. Yeah. And Justin Min as the praise leader. He was so great. He's so good. Yeah. I think the specificity is the strength of this show because, you know, who hasn't wanted to escalate things after a a road rage incident? I feel like this this is another show to file in the category of you should have just gotten some therapy, my dudes. <laughs> but speaking Work of therapy, on yourself. Speaking of therapy, what was what's that line? Oh, Western therapy doesn't or work on Eastern minds. Steven Yun says, says, Yun says that several times, I believe, or at least twice. So I thought that, I thought that was great. Every single time he said it, I was like, oh. But I also, mean, I mean, that's no- just speaking of specificity. You know, it's as the reason why a lot of Asians don't go to therapy, right? Yes, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Was but what is even Eastern therapy? There is none. No, um, there is no talking. You, it over you with drink, someone. you drink, and you drink some herbs, and that's supposed to cool your chi anger. Yeah, I was um, about to say you you use yeah. external and other things. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, these are this is a show about two people who are deeply unhappy with themselves and 
what their lives are like. And instead of confronting that very sad fact, they take it out on everyone yeah. in their circle. And that's in different ways. Um, and they think that's going to fill that void in their hearts. And then it doesn't. And then we get this shit show. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, that's, you know, like, it's I also mean, like really funny because Ali Wong, Amy's character, is definitely someone who like intellectually gets all these things. Mm-hmm. But like, does not let herself absorb these things. I mean, she's like, a character. Feel. Her character gets therapy or goes to therapy. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say she gets therapy. And you know, my partner is a trained social worker, and even she was saying, "Yeah, like Ali Wan's character. If she had said those things to me, I would have called her bullshit right away because she was using therapy to rationalize and to." like to shift blame, but not really kind of looking to herself, right? Like, mm-hmm. <sighs> all right. As we come to the end of our discussion on beef, um, given everything that we discussed, is beef good pop? Big. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe the first time I can't answer this question because I do think context matters. And... I obviously enjoyed this show, but also can't don't know if I can like put my approval behind this. Yeah, I I feel that. I I it's a well-made show. The critiques we had are all minor in the grand scheme of things besides the one big one. And but that one big one does mm-hmm. muddy the water and I cannot wholeheartedly recommend this show now. Yeah, I think... And I'm not even sure if I can even after we get official responses from the people. Because at this point, there is like... I know we just spent like a ton of time talking about what the show did well. But that doesn't overshadow like the glaring kind of social (laughs) considerations of like, like recommending this production. Yeah. And I think the reason why we did the show was just to be able to talk about the things that the show did well, because if this was the only conversation, I felt in a way it was doing a disservice to the people who worked hard on it that that created something original um, and considered and um, it's kind of like, you know, I know I joke a lot about, let's say, Quibi. <laughs> but, you know, when a Quibi dies, so do a lot of other you know jobs that go with it. So it's at some point, it's kind of like um, it's hard to wholeheartedly recommend something that like has a big glaring error in it. But at the same time, I don't want to take the money. I mean, take the, like the food out of the mouths of other people. So, and I yeah. mean, this is a story that like I've been waiting to see get told, right? Mm-hmm. A story that encompasses like the generational trauma and how it manifests in like that simmering rage that we all know exists beneath our like our surface, right? Like like Jess said, like I think we all related to. Danny and Amy's characters and for a lot of us kind of like horrifyingly so right like I can understand why these characters did the things they do because it's stuff we all imagine doing when we feel that rage not all of us take that step and you know the show overall is like a morality tale of like 
if you act on that, if you act on those instincts, like you mm-hmm. not only destroy your own lives, you destroy the lives of the people around you, right? Yeah. It's like no one comes out of this unscathed, right? Yeah. Like everyone in this show gets fucked yeah. up by yeah. the consequences. It's also just like a, like it obviously also hits harder because this is taking place in our own community because there's a lot of shitty people who the system protects from some of our favorite well-loved filmmakers you know like 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 we which is not to say like you know this show and the people involved shouldn't be held accountable or responsible but it is really interesting to me like on a visceral level how much more this seems to make us uncomfortable yeah Uh, because right like like we didn't go after i mean i'm sure we've covered shows with people who have or or have done past episodes with people who have like also supported folks like the whole Affleck thing, you know, Casey Affleck, no, uh, in. Jonathan Majors. Hello, Jonathan Majors. Right, t- um, though I I truly did not know that was mm-hmm. in the in bubbling under. Um, you know, that was hidden pretty well, I think, from the public up until that point. Um, you know, Spielberg, yeah, I- worked with a rapist, so it's just kind of like oh, like. Well, it does yeah. hit harder when it's your peeps. And there's something to be said about like wanting people to be held accountable and like going against the narrative that like, well, other people were not held accountable. So why are we being single? Mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. the nature of like the like white supremacist systems that we live in means that the people that get called out for shitty behavior first are probably not going to be the white people. Mm-hmm, but yeah. mm-hmm. like, but I'm just, for better or uh, worse, like, like that doesn't mean you should not be called out because someone else did not get called out. Like, I think it's like the whole like wanting to have the benefits of white supremacy shouldn't mean you aspire to like get away with the same things they do as well, right? Yes, yeah. but I think like sometimes there's a vis like so I think bodily there's like a visceral like there are some things like oh I know you're kind of a shitty person, but. I could still watch you um and i do think it is white supremacy like ingrained white supremacy that like we all gotta work through but like you know like can you watch something at this point starring brad pitt right can you watch something at this point yeah i think everyone has their own line and i think some of it is not even like we can decide like i think sometimes you know you can decide it on a theoretical level and keep to it Sometimes it is a bodily like level, like and that 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 you can like. Oh, I understand on like a like a visceral. Like I understand on the intellectual level, I can't support this, but like I still can kind of enjoy it if I allow myself. Versus like, oh, I listen to this or I watch this, and I cannot enjoy it knowing it what I know. Like it's it's just the nature of I think you know human humanness humanity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is interesting, like where everyone draws their own line. Yeah, and um, there's a lot, you know. And I don't think like it's kind of like the yeah. I agree with you, Marvin. Like we shouldn't let the folks get off because we want them to have the privileges of white supremacy. Like we want everyone to be held accountable. But yeah, it's just it's it just really sucks that like this is now what we have to dissect and talk about rather than like a cool show that has some really great 
talent behind it, obviously, but obviously also some that like protected this dude and like enabled this dude. Yeah, I, I, I think just the last thing I will say is I'm glad we did this because, um, I think the initial instinct at many places I've worked at are when something bad like this comes out, we just step away from it. And not to say that so many people listen to our podcast, but I think in some ways not covering it would have kind of, I don't want to say given it a free pass, but at least in this way, we are not ignoring the discourse. We're allowing people to, they can make their own decisions. Sure. Um, But we are on record for, you know, having our opinion said that this is not okay. And, um, and that it's actually a shame um, that this has overshadowed um, the discussion of the show. So um, yeah, I'm kind of sad about that. And um, yeah, I mean, it really shows you the limitations of like representation and like those types of politics, right? Because no, we've reached this inflection point a while ago where like representation by itself isn't enough anymore. You know, there still aren't enough of us, on mainstream stages, I, I um, also, quality. I also think people need to understand, like, actors are not smartest people. Like, actors are no different than you and me. <laughs> they are just famous. So, like, if you wouldn't trust, like, your neighbor from Four Houses Down just because he's, like, handsome and, like, maybe Asian, like, you don't need to trust any of these actors. Like, they're they're... They are people. Wait, are you saying I shouldn't vote for an actor for uh, a government role? That sounds like (laughs) a good idea, Han, but it's maybe not. (laughs) It has not worked out too much for our country in the past. Um, No, it's it's like they are they are there because they are good at a thing sometimes, which is acting. And they're usually attractive and they may know somebody like that's usually the three things that make you an actor. So like when people turn to actors or artists for like 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 entertainment folks for like quotes about like things like anti-Asian hate or Black Lives Matter, I'm like, but why? <laughs> they are not doing that work. Go mm-hmm. talk to the people who can talk about that work. Mm-hmm. And like this is someone who has worked in an entertainment agency and you know, entertainment and has worked with talent on the ground, not just in entertainment, you know, not just in tiffy film and tv but like i'm just like you just don't know they are just people but what about (laughs) reality tv stars who run for government office (laughs) honestly if new york tiffany pollard ran for something i would probably vote for her (laughs) but in general no hbic yeah Yeah. no don't 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 no don't and especially if they try to run again don't don't yes (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> with that that'll do it for our discussion of beef um i hope we gave you some things to think about something to chew on just han if people want to find out more of your thoughts where can they go my trash takes are still on twitter while it stumbles to its death at just shoot tweets yeah although i'm still at anonymous i feel like the end is nigh uh with npr pbs and um i think it was a canadian a news service leaving Twitter. I, I I feel like it's not far off. Huh, yeah, I'm still I'm still on Twitter at Marvin. Yeah, the show is still a good pop club. Uh, we'll have to find a new home at some point. But um, we are still a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. You can check out our fellow Asian American hosted podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. 
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Asians in Baseball alongside Naomi Ko and Scott Okamoto. Asians in Baseball is exactly what it sounds like. A podcast about the Asian and Asian Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Americans in Major League Baseball. Every week we break down the highlights of what's going on with Asians in Baseball and then take a deeper dive into the Asian and Asian Americans past and present who have shaped baseball as it is today. Whether you're Kim Ang's number one fan or you've never even heard of Hideo Nomo, we've got something for everyone especially for the Shohei Otani stands. Maybe too much for the Shohei Otani stands. Listen to Asians in Baseball wherever you get podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.